namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara Yesodavanta Bamunchantu Satang. So we have uh, the remainder of this month of March. This uh, winter's retreat. And so this is uh, to determine to, to really penetrate, to uh, put the, the kind of effort in, uh, because sometimes when we can just use time to uh, kill time, or waste it, or get carried away with all kinds of distractions. So I encourage you to really make this determination to use this month as kind of like a continuous reminding, Pachubanatama, here and now. <clears throat> so this this um, Pali phrase, Pachubanatama, the reality of now, is uh, something to really hold on to as not as some kind of doctrine, but reminding you. Because we do get carried away by our own emotions, habits, feelings, worldly pressures. There's so much, there's so much urgency or important things or crises or uh, the, the world is filled with this sense of urgency. The musts and shoulds and these imperatives, worldly imperatives, can really intimidate us. So in my own practice, being in a position <coughs> that I'm in as a senior bhikkhu, you know, there's, one is subjected to a lot of this kind of pressure, to, you know, urgence, what's important, what we have to do, what we need to face, uh, the future, what's the, what's the future of the Sangha? the future of monastic life, future of Buddhism, and on and on like this. So that these, these kind of uh, urgent messages or commands or imperatives, if you're, not, if you're not really, if you don't really understand or have a sense of Pachubanatama, then it's easy to get carried away. Causes, righteous causes, Watch that sense of righteousness in yourself, of how things should be, what's right, <clears throat> and what's fair and what's just, because we can really grasp these kind of concepts and, and dedicate our lives towards causes, towards righteous causes, without awakening to Dhamma, without, and forgetting all about here and now, Pachubanatama. 
So that's why the, the, the reflective ability of the human individual is, uh, is, uh, is the refuge because we can observe whatever, no matter how intimidated we become by the world or how much pressure is placed on us by worldly values or how much, uh, you know, old habits arise or fears and sense of self-worth uh, or worthlessness or whatever, it's always here and now. The conditions, personality, emotional habits will arise according to the conditions. They have no independent quality of their own. You know, the self-view, the sakaya ditti, the ego, is, it, it arises and ceases according to the conditions that you're experiencing. And yet we can assume, I could, you know, so much of my life, before becoming a monk was based on the assumption that I am the same person all the time. It's just an assumption, you know, I'm actually this person the, with this body, this, these, uh, this nationality, this gender, these abilities or lack of abilities, all the, the ways we create ourselves through our attachments to the conditions, to the memories, to views and opinions. And so there's a sense of like I am really this person is what I really am, is this personality, this body, this kind of person. Notice how strong identities become in the in the world. Like uh, uh, Sister Nanabodi was telling me coming back from California where the the sexual inclinations are so strongly identified when you apply for, for uh, going on a retreat at Spirit Rock, you have to mark what kind of sexual uh, tendencies you have. <laughs> they have, you know, this is kind of private information that they have little squares that you check off, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, or <laughs> transsexual. Now this is, this sounds really ridiculous to me because this is really, this is an identity that you acquire. And the more you operate, never questioning if that's your identity, how you, how you present yourself to the world or the society, or how you see yourself it's through, through sexuality or through the gender, being male or female, then that's how you're going to experience life. You're limited to that perspective. It's not because it's, it, because it's not Dhamma, it's merely identity to a perception. And these become obsessions or righteous causes with political, with the political right or the political left or with uh, race or nationality. <clears throat> with religion. We can become very attached to, to our religious identity or attach the idea that we don't, there's no religion or that all religions are wrong or foolish. Whatever view and opinion we have, no matter how right it might seem, it is what it is in the present. It arises and ceases according to the conditions like sexual inclinations you know, sexual habit, habit tendencies. 
when you really look at it, you, the, the conditions for those kind of memories, uh, that kind of tendency arise according to other conditions. It has no independent, solid basis in itself. It's merely a habit that we, that one becomes attached to. And this is, you know, it's, it's not like we shouldn't have any attachments, but the point of the Buddhist teaching is to see what attachment is. The result of attaching to conditioned phenomena. What is the, and this you have to find out for yourself, what is the, what is the result when you attach to anything? Being a, a bhikkhu or a siladhara or a ma man or a woman or English or Scottish or Thai or whatever, when, when one is attached to these perceptions, is it, does it bring peace, bliss, happiness, joy, or is it, does it bring up, up other conditions? If you're attached to nationality, then you've, if you've got national prejudices. Every nation, every ethnic group has prejudices against other groups. It's part of the conditioning process. So whatever you attach to, whatever, if it's good or right or even it's bad or wrong, the attachment out of ignorance is the problem, is the cause of the suffering. Now this is to be tested out. This is a, you know, this, the, this teaching of the Four Noble Truths is the kind of formula to use for investigation. Because it's through this awakened consciousness that you recognize liberation or the deathless. <clears throat> so in this word recognize the deathless. Like in the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, Niroda Satcha recognizing or realizing the end of suffering is this. So it's recognizing the deathless. The deathless then can only be recognized. You can't find it. You know, it's, it's, some, it's, it's, the, it's reality. So you awaken to the real. You don't, you don't find it by looking for it. Immediately you try to conceive the deathless or or anything, whatever you conceive, you know, you, that's not it. It's beyond conception, perception, but it's recognizable. It's, it's the real or reality. So what the Buddha is actually encouraging us is awakening to reality, awaken to the real. So this isn't even Buddhism as such, is it? It's, this, is, this, is, uh, this is outside even the convention of, of what we generally re regard as Buddhist. Except that the, the Lord Buddha was very clear in, in pointing to reality, like the, the Pali Sutta teachings, the Four Noble Truths, and those kind of teachings are pointers. They're, they're, they're not doctrines and positions one takes 
about oneself or, or society or how things should or shouldn't be. What they are is they're pointers, always pointing what? To the present. Pachubana Dhamma. Now when you say awaken to the real, and then, you know, it's, it, how do you do that? You know, how, can you figure it out how to awaken right now? You think, well, Ajahn Semenu keeps saying, Pachubanatama, enlightenment here and now, awaken to the real. What are you supposed to do? <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> and so, so then immediately you're kind of grasping what I'm saying. You know, you kind of uh, get the idea, get the words. Here and now, awakened here and now, the deathless. But they're pointing, they're pointers, they're, not, they're nothing in themselves. They're merely empty perceptions in themselves. Their value is not in themselves alone, but what, what am I pointing at? So awakened here and now it is just doing it, being this awakened reality here and now. And as you start thinking, well, how do you do it? Then that very doubt, that very questioning, you can be aware of. Now, thinking about this does lead you to a sense of, it's just too, you know, confusion. You try to figure it out intellectually and you'll just get terribly confused. Because what I'm pointing at is not towards concepts or words or things or objects. And the thinking process is a conditioned function of the mind. So, you know, it can, it deals with worldly things. The thinking process is is about phenomena, about whether it's uh, big or small, uh, red or blue, on and on like that, and which is the best and worst. Conditioned phenomena has all kinds of qualities and quantities. It can be good or bad, right or wrong. Heaven or hell. Conditioned phenomena, sapeth, each all conditions are impermanent. So phenomena, we live with these, with this, with these phenomena, the human body. This is a phenomena. So being aware of it as as a, as a sankara rather than as my body, it's different, isn't it? When I think of it as mine, this body is mine. Then, then the, the, it brings back all the sense of what I look like, gender of the body, the age of the body, the size, the perceptions of it, whether I you know, see it in terms of critical mind or vanity or whatever. The sense of I am this body brings up all the, these, these various conditions. So when I attach to, when I know, question this, when I merely operate from I am this body, then the world uh, around me is very different. 
self-consciousness, age, I'm, you know, I'm getting old, old man. The size, the color, the, and all that becomes, you know, how I, how I perceive the world around me. The world I create around me uh, can generate from this basic assumption that I am the, actually, this is my reality, this body is, is what I am. So in the Pachubana Dhamma, instead of assuming that I am this body and I've got, and I've got to convince myself I'm not really the body, because sometimes we do that, we think, well, you should, you know, the body's really not self, I agree. And, and so we, we may even like the idea of it and agree with the, with the, the body's not self, but we still operate as if it is the self. We can still live our monastic life fully committed to our bodies as ourselves and that we've, we've just got to let go and we shouldn't be vain. Uh, you know, we, vanity's not good to be, to, to look into the mirror and, and uh, kind of uh, try to make yourself look attractive or whatever is, we shouldn't be doing that. The body is a super, it's not beautiful. It's filled with unpleasant things. Uh, a disgusting bag of skin filled with pus and blood. And we can convince ourselves that we're just a bag of unbeautiful conditions. But that's still a self, isn't it? If, you know, still operating, whether you think is, I'm the most beautiful human being on the planet or just a, a disgusting bag of skin, it's, uh, it's still the thinking process. So that's where when we use the four postures for meditation, you know, kind of basic meditation, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, the four iriyabhata. Now, in, it's, a, it's a just a skillful means, but it's a way of, of observing the body that isn't coming from owning it, of, of identifying with it. It's not trying to ignore it or reject it, deny it, but to change one's attitude from identity and attachment to observing the reality of right now, Pachubana, this body sitting here, it's like this. So I, I, when, when I remind myself in this way, then it's reflecting rather than trying to describe my body and what it's like, how I feel when I'm sitting. And that it's, it's just this, it's very simple. Not, not even interesting. There's nothing, you know, it's just sitting here. There's pressure, you know, if you begin to notice, uh, you know, the, the pressure, the temperature of the room, how it affects your body or your robes or your clothes and, and the position of your legs and hands and so forth. But this is a way of, of changing, beginning to change from I've got to have perfect posture or my sitting posture isn't very good or uh, forming views and opinions about what, how you should sit 
or feeling that you're not very good at it or or just trying to ignore it. Maybe sometimes we like the sitting posture because uh, if we don't have too much discomfort, we can get easily get samadhi where we can forget all about the body for a while. Get into a nice mental state and the body disappears. You know, you don't have to you don't you don't notice it. It doesn't doesn't have doesn't come into consciousness if you concentrate on a mental object. So we, we you know, there's one way of just ignoring it or getting rid of it. Or just uh, trying to, you know, make it do what we want. How much, how many of you try to control and force and compel and, uh, you know, make your bodies sit a certain way or, you know, really use willpower to make your body do what you think it should. And it's still coming from Sakya Titi, isn't it? And it's my body and I've got to make it do what I want. Or maybe I don't like my body and I don't want to be bothered with it. It's too coarse. It's too uh, painful. Uh, and some, peop- some people don't like their bodies at all. So they want to go into nice mental states where the body is forgotten. So that's why this, this uh, reflection on Pachubana Dhamma is is uh, is the thing to to remind yourself. You know, here and now, this this you can do all the time. Whether you're sitting, standing, walking, lying down, whether you're working, walking from one place to another, eating your food or whatever. You know, this is not meditation as some kind of technique that you need the right conditions to, to do. It's a continuous, ongoing reminder. Now when I, uh, when consciousness is, a, is another, what we're experiencing now, that we don't create. I mean, the body, you, di- you didn't make your body or create it. You create your identities with it uh, and that, but, that's, but actually the body is a condition that's natural. It's, a na- it's like everything else in nature. It was born and it grows up, gets old and dies just like every other creature. That's a, the, and so this, this body is, uh, say, it's a, it's a natural condition. It's not, it's not mine, it's not personal. Then we create ourselves with, with you know, my body. This is, this is something you create out of ignorance. Consciousness is is dhammachat or natural. It's nature. Consciousness, you don't create it. It's not personal. It's not like my consciousness and your consciousness as if they were separate. Unless I believe that. If I'm convinced that my consciousness is separate from yours, then that's how I 
how I see the world, me as opposed to you, or me as something separate from you. Or you have your consciousness and I have my <laughs> Well, that's not, that's not natural, is it? That's a creation out of identity. My consciousness is in my body, and, and I'm a different person from you, and I'm here and you're there. And so we go by, by the, how things appear, how we're conditioned to perceive the world around us, creators of this world around us. <clears throat> so what I'm doing now is reflecting on the here and now, consciousness here and now, before you create yourself into it. Like just being aware of the body, the sitting posture, or the standing, or walking, or lying down. But the, the uh, being aware of it. The body is in the consciousness, isn't it? Is consciousness in the body? Or is the body in consciousness? This is a conundrum to contemplate. Very fact that Right now I can be aware of my body as a whole body sitting here on this seat. It's not in my brain, is it? It's not, body's not in my brain. Actually, you know, it's in the consciousness. Consciousness doesn't seem to have any boundaries. So mindfulness then, being mindful, being awake here and now, is this gate or this door or this opportunity we have in the Pachuban, in the present moment, to, rem to remember the deathless, the real, Amatadhamma, the deathless reality. This is it, here and now. Now, reminding yourself of this, like uh, I, I've used this sound of silence for this, because that's what I, when I let go of everything, that's what I, that's what seems to be present. I don't create it, it's not a creation uh, or a fantasy or a nimitta or anything. So then, affirming this, this is, the, this is the deathless reality, here and now. Now it's like informing also, because many, many, uh, many people have insights into this reality, mystical experiences or moments of insight that you've had in the past, um, but then you forget it and you and then you think you have to go on a special retreat in order to get it back. So we cling to the memories. Like, like this is something to warn you about how, uh, you know, how we create memories about insight. So the first year when I was a Samanera in Nongkai, this was before I met Ajahn Chah, I had a lot of insight. So these empty moments, mystical insight. And then when I became a bhikkhu and went to stay with Ajahn Chah, I remembered I had all these insights 
when I was a Samanera at Wat Nun Penau Nongkai. And I wanted them again, because the memories, some of them were so marvelous, you know, kind of blissful uh, realities that I experienced. And then the memory of it created the desire to have it again. So the, in order to have it again, I have to recreate the situation. So finally, I, I, you know, I felt I couldn't do this at Wat Bapong where you had, you were much more active. You know, you had to go out on arms round and work in the afternoons and, and it was, it wasn't like where I was when I was someone there. I was alone most of the time for a year in a little hut. So I had, you know, I didn't have to deal with work or distraction. Or talking to people, I didn't, you know, there's nobody could speak English in the monastery. So I just sat there with myself for a year. And through just the, the process of patiently enduring the, because it's not easy to do, be, live with yourself for a year. You know, it, it's hard work in the beginning because you're conditioned to, you know, the conditioning was, well, wasn't that way. All the, you know, all the repressed emotions and, and that of a lifetime of 30 years started coming up into consciousness. And, and, and that was like living in hell for a few months, beginning a few months. Then after a year, I became a bhikkhu. Then I remembered these blissful memories, you know, these, these great insights I had. And so I wanted to recreate the situation. So I went and asked Ajahn Chah to let me go, and I went off to this place in Sukhulnakorn province of Pupek Mountain and tried to recreate the experience, and I couldn't. It was one of the worst years, the six months I spent on this mountain, trying to get the deathless through remembering what I'd experienced when I was a Samanera. It doesn't work. You know, you can't do it that way. So then also I began to, you know, see the, 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 the um, practical, practic the practical reality that of being a bhikkhu of training with Lung Po Chat Wat Bapong, of just fitting into their structure, of just doing everything their way, you know, because uh, it was a very strict Vinaya monastery. And, uh, you know, here I was a foreigner, an American, you know, who couldn't speak the language, trying to, to live in a Buddhist monastic community. Uh, you know, that, um, you know, I didn't really understand. And was all, and I wasn't used to being so restrained and having to do, you know, obey and follow and submit and, and that to, to external things. But something in me, intuitively, I knew that's what I had to do. It's an intuition. It wasn't a, another kind of ego trip that I've got to prove I can become a really good bhikkhu to prove that uh, Americans can do it. 
it was, it was even though such perceptions might have arisen at moments, that's not, that wasn't why I was doing it. So then the Lumpur Cha is always about Pachubana Dhamma. So even with the limited, you know, the first year learning the Thai language and, and that, you know, the limited ability to comprehend, and yet because of that emphasis, uh, that powerful emphasis of Ajahn Chah and the training, the math- monastic training, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't really, you know, if you're going to stay there, you ha- you, somehow you, you, you kind of understood it. Otherwise, I couldn't have lived in such a place if it was just, you know, me trying to get my way and do things my way. I had to submit to, to uh, surrender, to conform. And conformity was, uh, was something I'd resisted ever since I was a teenager. I remember reading Alberto Moravia's novel, The Conformists, when I was in high school. And uh, the Italian writer, and uh, about this, this man that conformed everything, and, and I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be an individual, a nonconformist. So I, you know, I perpetuated this illusion of myself as a nonconformist, the romantic image of rebellion against authority, against convention, against the rigidity of, of morality, and as as it as it had been imposed on me through the religion or the society. So this identity of being a nonconformist, then find myself in a situation like Wat Mapong where it was all conforming. <laughs> you know, the most extreme kind of conforming <laughs> you could imagine. But it wasn't a t- tyrannical, it wasn't for tyranny, it wasn't through threats or, or you know, slave, slave-like tyranny. It had a point to it. Pachubana Dhamma was the point, wasn't it? That was it, it was about awakened here and now. So then my resistance to the conformity, my critical mind could really, you know, I could find all kinds of things I didn't like about it, didn't agree with, and that. But that wasn't it. It was, uh, you know, I could, you know, nobody was held a gun to my head. I could have left any time I wanted, but intuitively I knew I, I wouldn't. Because I was beginning to get the point, you know, just see this stubbornness and conceit and, and my resistance and fear and sense of self and conceit and all that, that were mirrored, were reflected in consciousness. So then, uh, then the, the practice, the practicality of the lifestyle, of monastic life, of the Vinaya training, and, and that, that, that Lumpur Chao, that was his way of, of living a, a human life in a continuous way, a kind of 
convention <clears throat> that uh, that one could you know live for a lifetime and and pursue and constantly remind oneself of Pachubana Dhamma. And so that means, that, and that's pretty much what I've done ever since, is, a, is a, no matter how difficult or onerous or whatever life becomes on the conditional level, the main thing, the, the, the practice is Pachubana Dhamma. How does it, you know, you look here, rather than trying to control it and, and, uh, and, and try to make it what you want or what you think it should be. So that's where even when, when monasteries seem to fall apart or things are, are going all awry and whatnot, it's still Pachubana Dhamma. It doesn't have, we don't have to have a really good monastic community living in harmony and all these are best ideals. But even when it's all going mad, it's still Pachubana Dhamma. So this is, this is where the, the emphasis is on this uh, Upanayaka Dhamma, Ehipasiko Upanayaka Bajatang, to be realized by yourself. This is it. I, none of, you, no one can do this for you. So it's, uh, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is the value of this convention is that it, it's not an end in itself. It's, it's an expedient means like any other convention. But it, it does, you know, it's managed to survive 2,552 years, which is, you know, in our terms, human ways of thinking and sense of time and history, that's, that's a success story. It's managed to survive uh, you know, through all kinds of successes and failures, empires and kingdoms and affluence and depressions. And the teaching is still pure. It's not, it hasn't been corrupted, hasn't been uh, changed in any way. Still the basic, the Four Noble Truths. It's, it's, not, it's just exactly, you know, the first sermon of the Buddha. So it's not like it's, it's, uh, it's a different teaching for the age. This is, uh, this, is, this is the teaching that we use. And, and then we, those of us who take on the precept life, then this is, this is how we live our lives within this society at this time, at this age. And of course, it is a, it's a it's an alms mendicant form, so it's dependent on, it, we make ourselves dependent on the goodness of other people. <clears throat> so when we take the precepts, we, we give up our rights to hold money, own things, and, 
And we give up all kinds of rights to, to live our life in our own way and do what we want. Now that can be seen as some kind of personal, saintly thing we mustn't do. But that's not the point, is it? It's not to, that I should give up, uh, relinquish and surrender to the form. That's not it. It's not about me doing it. It's, it's using the form for reflecting, getting to see the, the results of attachment to Sakayaditi, Silabhata Bharamasa, Vichikicha, the first three fetters. So we're not trying to become ideal monks and nuns and, or saints or, you know, just trying to, to it's not about self-improvement or anything like that. It's, it's using this, this convention for reflection on, in the present. So whether you're being uh, praised or blamed or you're feeling healthy or sickly, uh, you're feeling uh, inspired or depressed, you're feeling happy or miserable, that's not it, is it? It's not about finding happiness as a kind of permanent state, but awakening to reality, Pachubhanatamma. Now the retreat time then is, this is, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity devoted to just this. And then the Lay communities come here to help support it in a, uh, you know, in a, in, in the way that we we can relinquish a lot of maybe duties and that that we might have when it's not retreat time. But it does take this determination. Like I, I have books. I still have notebooks where I just write down things like, like silence. I have n notebooks where I just write silence, 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 just to, to, to keep my centered in this sound of silence to where it's just, it carries me. I get so used to being in this state of silence, in this natural awareness. And then affirming it, until, you know, this is it, this is the reality. You know, and it's not like it's anything at all that I could describe or point to or teach. It's to be recognized, realized. It's budgetang way tidap or we knew to be realized individually. So when you ask me to uplift you or do it for you, I can't do it. Not that I don't want to. <laughs> it's I can't. So. <laughs> Uh, uh, Ajahn Chah couldn't do it. The Buddha couldn't do it to his disciples. The best, uh, you know, what they call an Ajahn or teacher is pointing to Pachubana Dhamma. So, you know, like a, a, a good teacher encourages us to awaken, doesn't try to intimidate us or reinforce the delusions of a self. So, you know, I really try not to reinforce self-delusions in, in you. 
I don't know how successful I am, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not my intention to tell you how to practice or how you should do things or what's wrong with you or anything else or to, to praise you or condemn you, but to, to encourage awakened attention in the present. Now this is, uh, this teaching is for human beings. It's for Deva Manusanang. It's for Devadas too. But I've never identified with that particular <laughs> realm. I've definitely, uh, you know, on a human level, feel more human than Deva. And so, but this, this uh, Manusya is a uh, Pali word for human. But it is about dukkha and its origins, cessation and, and the way of non-suffering. And so this, is, this isn't about finding happiness physically or emotionally, having security, emotional security or physical health or anything like that. It's about awakening and so that whatever happens, because each one of us has to endure through a lifetime of our own karmic uh, inheritance. I am the owner of my kama, heir to my kama, born of my kama, related to my kama, abide supported by my kama, and so forth. That's another reflection. So, and, the, and it's different, you know, karmas are different from di different people. We all, we have the common union, unicity of consciousness. That's, our, that's where we're one, is in consciousness. Physically, we're separate. We can't be one physically. So, you know, it's just, so I'm sitting here and you're sitting there. <laughs> that's the way it is in the conditioned plane. But in the oneness, then the oneness is consciousness, because that's, that is not about me sitting here and you sitting there. It has no boundary. Where does it, where does it cease? You know, it's beyond conception. Try to conceive consciousness, you know, uh, uh, you know, and describe it. You can recognize it. It's just this, isn't it? It's not, not something I can describe, but it's certainly real. I'm not making it up. So this consciousness, then, then they, then we, uh, then we divide into the male, female genders on the physical level. And then, uh, then uh, uh, individually, our karmas, uh, whether we're, you know, how old we are, and what nationality, social background, uh, and so forth, is all different. No, no two are the same.
So we have to experience our karma, you know, and even in the scriptures, the Lord Buddha, you know, lived after his enlightenment till he was 80 and then had to, uh, the results of his karma. He didn't get out of it. In the scripture, you can read it, he had his own individual karma to, but his relationship to it was then of reflecting on it, not attaching to it. Non-attachment. So the only way we cannot attach to vipaka karma that arises in the present is through this awareness practice, mindfulness. So that, that this reality here and now, Pachubana Dhamma, it's as simple as this. This is this is liberation. This is freedom. Attaching to the conditions out of ignorance means then we're just whirled back, you know, it's like a, a whirlpool. You know, as soon as you forget Pachubana Dhamma and you get carried you you're kind of whirled back into the vortex of samsara. It's just a sort of boom, you're, you're born again into this sense of me and mine and what I like and don't like and so forth. So then the, the training yourself, reminding yourself here and now reality here and now and affirming this so that you're kind of like you're continuously affirming here and now this is it until it you you know you you really you know you know this on a deep level it's it's like real insight gut knowledge where you you know this it's no longer conceptual or just fleeting fragments through uh, peaceful conditions supporting some kind of peaceful mental states. You 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 know this even in the middle of the battlefield or whatever is happening to you. Monastic life can get it's boring and we do have our relationship to forms and and uh, the way we attach to to monastic uh, perceptions, but all this is to be you know encouraged to awaken to it. Don't make a problem about it. Use it for reflection, so that our lives, as samanas, are are simple. We're not we're not trying to work out things and. And uh, you know, try to solve all our relationship problems and and views about how things should be in modern life and modern values and Western uh, democratic values and human rights and all the rest. There's nothing we don't, we, you know, that nothing wrong with that. But that's not. The life of a samana is not about human rights or, or how things should be. It's about here and now and, and seeing the suffering of being caught up into the, all the uh, intimidating ideals, 
imperatives of of our own minds, of the people around us, the what our parents want us to do, what we assume society wants us to do, what we what I you know what you think I want you to do, or whatever you know. It's always the Pachubana Dhamma is the is the pointing, and this this this, this, this it's up to you now. This is the, what you do with this is up to you. You know, how you use this convention, that's, you know, the best I can do is describe or encourage a skillful use of the convention, but how you use it it's, uh, is, uh, is up to you. I'm not, I'm not going to stand, you know, and spy on you and and kind of scold you every time you don't you you might not keep a rule properly or whatever. <laughs> I'm not a, a Gestapo or a <laughs> FBI agent or I don't bug your rooms or cooties <laughs> because it is about awakening through through uh, you know th- through faith through confidence through confidence in yourself not through fear you know. B- set up a spy system and intimidate you, then you, you might obey all the rules because you're afraid. I can put the fear of hell into your mind and, uh, you know, make you obey and be a good person because you're frightened of being bad. And you, don't, you think Ajahn Sumedho has his eyes on you. I remember sometimes the Western monks said with Lung Po Cha, Remember, one used to think Ajahn Chah was spying on him all the time. And that wherever, whatever he was doing, Ajahn Chah knew exactly what was going on in his mind. So anyway, he asked Ajahn Chah about this. He said, you know everything, don't you? You know exactly. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you know, how, you know, I've, I've got to be like this because uh, Lung Po Cha knows exactly what's going on in my mind all the time. So then, then we, we behave because we're, we're, we're afraid Lung Po Cha might, you know, if we have an unpleasant thought, a dirty thought or something, Lung Po Cha will know it. And then he'll be, you know, point the finger. But this is... Uh, <laughs> This is a projection, it's self, Sakyaditi, isn't it? Lung Po Cha knows everything that's going on in my mind. Whether you do that with me, I don't know. I swear some of you do. But it's not like that. It's not, uh, you know, it's, we, you can't, nobody's like that. It'd be awful to live in this community if I knew what was going on in your minds all the time. I left a long time ago. <laughs> so, so, this is, you know, how you project your creations of seniority, of bhikkhus, siladars, lay people, men, women, all that, those are projections that might be habitual conditioned projections. We 
we believe in, we never question, maybe we, we totally believe in our own creations. So this, uh, this is an invitation to awaken to Dhamma, which we don't create, we, we awaken to it, we recognize it. And so that's like taking refuge in Dhamma rather than in ideas, views, opinions, or, or the assumption that I actually am this person as an ongoing, you know, this is, I'm this person all the time. So, you know, very, I find it quite interesting to just, you know, observe how I, how my personality changes according to even the weather. You know, whether it's sunny and warm or cold and wet or <clears throat> uh, what time of day or night or how I'm feeling. And I'm feeling healthy and vigorous or sickly and weak or tired. My personality changes. I'm talking to juniors or seniors or lay people or nuns or whatever, the personality changes. But that which is aware, conditions change, you know, whether you're, you're at an interfaith meeting or, you know, would I talk like this at an interfaith meeting? <laughs> Uh, you know, your personality changes to your interfaith personality. <laughs> and I stopped going to them because I, I found them pretty boring, actually. Having to be so incredibly tolerant all the time. But they, uh, you know, grand, grand and magnanimous states of mind. But in terms of getting to the, the causes and the, the freedom from suffering, this is this you find out through through your own investigation, through awakened conscious uh, mindfulness. So I offer this for your reflection.